1: Sunday Showcase. Highlighting some of the best audio
0: storytelling found anywhere. All right here on the Mutual Audio Network.
2: It's Season 13 of the Sonic Summer Stock Playhouse. Performing through the summer months... The Sonic Summerstock Playhouse is presented by the Sonic Society for the Mutual Audio Network and features producers and actor troops from the modern age of audio drama who recreate and reproduce classic old-time radio plays. The Playhouse endeavors to bring shows to a contemporary audience for the love of the medium and not in any intended form of copyright infringement and now, we go to our host of the Sonic Summerstock Playhouse on stage now, Mr. David Alt.
3: Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Hello. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Uh, yes. This is our first day of Sonic Summerstock 2022, our 13th annual season in the historic Halifax Playhouse. I hope you are enjoying the comfortable seating and can see everything from your raked vantage points. I am David Alt, and this hallowed stage on which I stand has been our glorious foundation for some of the world's greatest writers, producers, and of course, acting troops of the modern age of audio drama. Originally born as radio drama from nearly 100 years ago with A Comedy of Danger by Richard Hughes, also performed here by the Amigos, Sonic Summerstock Playhouse is our seasonal festival to sound. Science fiction, fantasy, comedy and drama, westerns and classics, mystery and murder. The Playhouse has been home to all and as your host this year. Again, (laughs) yes thank you, yes. This year we have a special format As different from every year, we have such a collection of incredible features. This year, we will have an intermission between Acts 1 and 2. So please make good use of the snack and wine bar during our brief breaks in the drama. And so, it is my duty and pleasure to present to you our first feature of the Sonic Summerstock Playhouse's 13th season. From Pete Lutz and the Narada Radio Company Plays, The Cane Mutiny Court Martial Act 1. This is the BBC Home Service. Sunday Night Theatre. We present a dramatisation of the Kane Mutiny Court Martial, the stage play by Herman Wook, based on his Pulitzer Prize-winning novel. The action takes place in a military courtroom in San Francisco, California, USA, close to the end of the Second World War in 1945. The court is in recess, and the accused, Navy Lieutenant Stephen Marrick, Sits at the defense table with his attorney, Navy Flight Lieutenant Barney Greenwald. The Kane Mutiny Court Martial, Act (laughs) 1.
2: The Kane Mutiny Court Martial is purely imaginary. No ship named USS Kane ever existed. The records show no instance of a U.S. Navy Captain relieved at sea under Navy Regulations Articles 184 to 186. The fictitious figure of the deposed captain was derived from a study of psychoneurotic case histories and is not a portrait of a real military person or type. While court-martial regulations have been extensively revised since the Second World War, the trial depicted herein takes place according to instructions then in force.
4: What are they doing out there? This is a hell of a long recess. This is the longest recess yet. I've seen longer. I thought the trial would be over by now. All they do is swear in somebody, recess. Look at a paper, recess. Look at another paper, recess. Mumble some legal words, recess some more. When does the court-martial start? Merrick,
5: take it easy. It's going to be a long trial. But you won't tell me what you're doing, how you're going to conduct my case, what I'm supposed to say, nothing. It would only confuse you. I couldn't be more confused than I am. Well, you've got something there. I don't like the way you're handling me. Good, that makes us even. How's that? I don't like handling you. What? Well, well, then maybe I'd better... I'd rather be prosecuting you than defending you. I told you that the first time we met. Nevertheless, I'm defending you. If it's humanly possible to win an acquittal in this case, I'm going to win you an acquittal. But you can't help me, so just leave me be.
4: You're a damn peculiar fish.
5: My mother thinks I'm beautiful.
4: That's a hell of a thing to say, you know. What? You'd rather be prosecuting me than defending me. How do you suppose that makes me feel?
5: You're nervous. Sure I am. I am too, a bit. Sorry.
4: I can ask the court for a different counsel.
5: Forget it. I don't take on a case to lose it. You do think I was right
4: to relieve Captain Queeg. I can't say that. After everything I told you, you still don't think he was nuts? No, I don't. Then I get hung. Not necessarily. Maybe I should plead guilty. Eight legal officers advised me to plead guilty.
5: The court would go easy on me. I don't care if every legal officer in the Navy says otherwise. I think I can get you off. I'll get all fouled up. You'll do nobly. You may come out of this a great naval hero. Greenwald, is there something eating you? I don't know. I'm a damn good lawyer, Merrick, and I'm a pretty poor flyer. Took quite a shellacking at flight school from snotty ensign instructors four or five years younger than me. I didn't like it. Baby-faced kids couldn't do such things to Greenwald the hotshot lawyer. I used to daydream about a court-martial coming up on that base, and some poor Joe would need defending, and I'd step in and take over and twist the Navy's arm and make it holler uncle. Now, here's my dream come true. You know something? I don't look forward to twisting the Navy's arm. Not one bit. Scared of the brass, eh? Worse. What? Respectful. Listen, I put in for transfer to the regulars. I respect the Navy, too. Merrick, they took us in naked. Just a lot of pink blobs with belly buttons. And they worked us over and kicked us around and slapped funny uniforms on us. And there we were all of a sudden with big flaming machines in our hands, sinking U-boats and shooting down Zeros. A lot of guys take it in stride. Me, it's sort of turned all my old ideas wrong side out. And this is a war that sure needs winning for my job.
4: Well, I don't go along with you all the way. You don't? There's still a big pile of foolishness connected with the Navy. In fact, I sometimes think the Navy is a master plan designed by geniuses for execution by idiots.
5: <laughs> you think what?
4: The Navy is a master plan designed by geniuses for execution by idiots?
5: Where'd you hear that? Couldn't I have just made it up? You could just have made up the Gettysburg Address, too. Where'd you hear it? Well, as a matter of fact, it's one of Tom Kiefer's favorite cracks. Ah, yes. You echo your
4: novelist friend quite a bit, don't you? Tom's got the keenest mind on the ship. About the keenest I've ever run into. He's keen, all right. I'm sure glad Tom is going to testify. You are? Hell, he knows everything Captain Quigg did. He knows psychiatry.
5: I'm a stoop about those things. I'll follow myself up. Tom Kiefer can tell the thing straight. If I had my way, Lieutenant Thomas Kiefer would never appear in this court. What? He's not going to do you any good on the witness stand, Merrick. You mark my words. One man I'd really enjoy prosecuting is Mr. Thomas Kiefer, the eminent novelist. Greenwald, you're not to go pinning anything
4: on Tom Kiefer. It was my responsibility.
5: That's right. You did what you did. Well, here we go. It's better you did it out of your own noble judgment than that you took the advice of a sensitive novelist. Tension?
6: We're spending excessive time in all these recesses. Be seated. I appreciate the judge advocate's desire to have the record letter perfect, but let's get on with the case and hereafter keep technicalities to a minimum. Aye, aye, sir. Court finds the charge and specification in due form and technically correct. Is the accused ready for trial? Yes, sir. Commander Shuly, read the charge. Charge.
0: Conduct to the prejudice of good order and discipline. Specification. In that Lieutenant Stephen Merrick, USNR, did on or about 18 December 1944, aboard the USS Kane, willfully, without proper authority and without justifiable cause, did relieve from his duty as commanding officer, Lieutenant Commander Philip Francis Quig, USN, the duly assigned commanding officer of said ship, who was then and there in the lawful exercise of his command, the United States then being in a state of war. Stephen Merrick, Lieutenant, United States Naval Reserve, you have heard the charge and specification preferred against you. How say you? Guilty or not guilty?
5: Not guilty. Accused admits he is Lieutenant Stephen Merrick, USNR, and that he was the executive officer of the USS Kane on 18 December 1944.
6: The admission is made with my authority. Judge Advocate, present your case.
0: Orderly, call Lieutenant Commander Quig.
7: Aye, sir.
6: You do solemnly swear that the evidence you shall give in this court shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you God.
2: I do. State your name, rank, and present position. Philip Francis Quig, Lieutenant Commander, United States Navy, temporarily assigned to Commandant Twelfth Naval District, awaiting reassignment by BuPers. If you recognize the accused, state as whom. Uh, Lieutenant Stephen
0: Merrick, USNR, Commander Quig. On December eighteenth, nineteen
2: forty-four, were you in command of the USS Kane? I was. What type of vessel is the King? Her official designation is High Speed Minesweeper, which is is a four-piper, one of those flush-decked 1,200-ton destroyers from World War I, fixed up with minesweeping gear. An old ship, then? I guess about the oldest type still doing combat duty. What is her primary mission? Uh, That's a hard one. These old buckets are regarded as pretty expendable. By and large, we were doing the usual destroyer duty, uh, anti-submarine screening, also ran the mail, transported Marines, carried aviation gas and torpedoes, gave fire support in minor landings, or what have you. Also sweat mines now and then.
0: Commander, on December 18th, 1944, were you relieved of command of the King? Yes. By whom? By the accused. Was this a regular relief? It was totally
2: irregular, sir. How would you describe it? Well, the most charitable description would be that it was an incident, a regrettable incident of temporary and total collapse of military discipline. Commander, please relate all the facts that bear on this unauthorized relief. Okay. I'll try to do this consecutively here. Uh, the canes sorted from ulethi Atoll on the 16th of December, I believe. The 15th or 16th. Uh, we were a screening vessel with a group of fleet oilers. Our mission was to rendezvous with and refuel Admiral Halski's fast carrier force in the Philippine Sea. Okay. Well, we made the rendezvous, and then this typhoon came along. The fueling was broken off, and the fleet began to maneuver to evade the storm. Now, the storm was traveling due west, so Admiral Halsey set fleet force due south, and we began to make a run for the safe semicircle. What was the
0: date and time of that course change?
2: That would be early morning of the 18th, sir. Well, as I say, the storm was pretty bad at this point. Visibility was almost zero. Couldn't see the guide or even the next ship in the screen. We were just steaming blindly through rain and spray. And, of course, with the wind and the sea and all, we had to maneuver pretty smartly with engines and rudder to hold fleet course and speed. But we were doing fine. My executive officer, however, pretty early in the game, began to show unusual symptoms of nervousness. And I had to make sure. What were these symptoms of nervousness? Well, for instance, he began talking very early. It couldn't have been... Uh, half an hour after the fleet started to run south that we should operate independently and come around north. Why did he want to do that? Well, I'll give you a picture on that. You see, the typhoon was coming at us from the east. We were on the western edge of it. Now, as you know, these blows spin counterclockwise above the equator. That means where we were, the wind was from due north. Admiral Halsey, of course, was running south with the wind to get out of the storm's path. Now, that's in accordance with all existing storm doctrine from Bowditch on up. But my exec insisted that the ship was on the verge of foundering, and we'd better come around and head into the wind, that is, north, if we were to survive. Of course, we weren't in any such bad shape at all, and that's what I mean by nervousness. What was your objection
0: to coming north, as the executive officer suggested?
2: Why, everything was wrong with that idea that could be wrong with it, sir. In the first place, my orders were to proceed south. My mission was screening. My ship was in no danger and was functioning normally. Why, to drop out of station and act independently under those conditions was unthinkable. Coming around to north would have headed the ship directly into the heart of the typhoon. was not only a senseless suggestion in the circumstances, it was almost suicidal. I might add that I've since checked my decisions of December 18th with the finest ship handlers I know up to the rank of rear admiral, and they've unanimously agreed that the only course in that situation was south.
0: Um, Commander, your last remark was hearsay evidence. That is not acceptable.
2: I'm sorry, sir. I'm not up on these legal distinctions as much as I should be, I guess. Perfectly all right.
6: Will defense counsel move to strike out the part of the testimony which was hearsay evidence? Um,
5: all right, sir. I, I shall move.
6: No objection. Strike out the last sentence.
0: A ship handling expert will be called, Commander, to testify to that point. I see. I'm very glad to know that, sir. Thank you. Proceed with your description of the relief. Okay.
2: Well, it it was just that Merrick kept insisting on coming north, more and more stridently as the weather deteriorated. Finally, I began to be a little concerned about him, and suddenly he walked up to me out of a clear sky and told me I was on the sick list and he was relieving me. To be honest, I couldn't believe my ears and was a little slow in catching on. It was only when he started shouting orders at the officer of the deck and countermanding my instructions to the helm that I began to realize what was going on. Commander, can you recall
0: anything in your own bearing or manner that could have provoked your executive officer's act?
2: Well, truthfully, sir, I cannot. Frankly, I don't think my bearing or manner had anything to do with it. It was a pretty scary situation at the wheelhouse. The wind was forced 10 to 12, screeching and all that. The waves were mountainous. The barometer was about as low as it's ever been in the U.S. Navy history. We took one very bad roll, and I mean a bad one, and I've done a lot of North Atlantic rolling, too, and I I think Merrick simply went into panic. Was the cane in grave danger at that moment? Oh, no. I wouldn't say that, no, sir. We righted very nicely from that bad roll. He repeatedly tried to order me off the bridge, but I stayed right where I was. I gave him orders only when it seemed necessary for the safety of the ship. In the situation, I thought the chief hazard was any further acts of frenzy on his part. And to the extent that the cane did come safely through the storm, despite this unprecedented running amuck of my executive officer, I believe my handling of the emergency was the correct one. Did Merrick cite any authority at all when he relieved you? (laughs) (laughs) He mumbled something about Article 184. I, I didn't catch it at the time. Later, he said his authority was Articles 184, 185, and 186 of the Naval Regulations.
0: Are you familiar with these
2: articles? Certainly. In substance, what do they provide? Well, as I understand it... They make it possible for an executive officer to take over in an emergency, a highly unusual emergency, where the captain is, well, frankly, where the captain's gone absolutely and hopelessly
0: loony. Were those articles properly invoked in your situation?
2: Well, I'm uh, sort of an interested party here, but you won't have to take my word for it. I was successfully conning my ship through a typhoon, Fortunately, there are 130 witnesses to that fact. Every man who was aboard that ship.
0: Uh, There again, sir, you're testifying to the conclusions
2: of others? Sorry. I'm obviously no legal expert. I'll withdraw that last sentence.
6: Stenographer, strike the last sentence of the answer from the record. Aye, sir. Have you ever
0: been mentally ill, sir? No, sir. Were you ill in any way when Mr. Merrick relieved you? I was not. Did you warn your executive officer of the
2: consequences of his act? I told him he was performing a mutinous act. What was his reply? That he expected to be court-martialed, but he was going to retain command anyway. What was the attitude of Lieutenant
0: Junior Grade Keith, the officer of the deck? He was in a state of panic as bad as Merrick's. What was the attitude of the helmsman?
2: Stillwell was emotionally unbalanced and, for some reason, was very devoted to Mr. Keith. They both backed up Merrick. Is there anything else, Commander Queeg,
0: that you care to state in connection with the events of 18 December aboard the Kane?
2: Well, I have thought a lot about it all, of course. It's the gravest occurrence in my career, and the only questionable one that I'm aware of. It was an unfortunate freak accident. If the OOD had been anyone but this immature Keith and the helmsman anyone but Stillwell, I don't think it would have happened. A competent officer of the deck would have repudiated Merrick's orders, and a normal sailor at the helm would have disregarded both officers and obeyed me. It was just bad luck that those three men, Merrick, Keith, and Stillwell, were combined against me at a crucial time. Bad luck for me, and I'm afraid worse luck for them.
4: Aren't
6: you going to say anything? Be quiet. The court would like to question the witness. Commander Quig. you have taken all the prescribed physical and mental examinations, incident to entrance to the academy, graduation, commissioning, promotion, and so forth? Yes, sir, for 14 years. Does your medical record contain any history of illness, mental or physical?
2: It does not, sir. Uh, my tonsils were removed in the fall of 1938. Have you ever had an unsatisfactory fitness report, Commander Queeg?
6: Negative, sir.
2: I have one letter of commendation in my jacket. Now, Commander,
6: can you account for Lieutenant Merrick's opinion that you were mentally ill?
2: (laughs) Well, that's rather a tough one, sir. Well,
6: I appreciate
2: that, but it might be helpful. Well, sir... I'll have to say that I assumed command of an extremely disorganized and dirty ship. Now, that's no reflection on the officer I relieved. The cane had had a year and a half of the most arduous combat duty, and it was understandable. Still, the safety of that ship and its crew demanded its being brought up to snuff. I took many stern measures. Lieutenant Merrick, I may say from the first, didn't see eye to eye with me at all on this idea of making the cane a taut ship again. Maybe he thought I was crazy to keep trying. I guess that's the picture, sir. No more questions. Commander Quigg,
5: I should like to ask you whether you have ever heard the expression, Old yellow stain." In what connection? In any connection. Old Yellowstone? Old Yellowstain, sir. I have not. You aren't aware, then, that all the officers of the cane habitually refer to you as Old Yellowstain? I object to the
6: question. It is impertinent badgering of the witness. How does Defense Counsel Greenwald justify this line of questioning?
5: If the court please, the nickname Old Yellowstain, used by the officers of the cane, will be relevant to the issue of mental competence.
6: Before ruling... The court wishes to caution defense counsel. This is a most unusual and delicate case. The honor and career of an officer with an unblemished military record of 14 years standing is involved. The defense counsel will have to bear full responsibility for the conduct of his case. Subject to the foregoing comment, the judge advocate's objection is overruled. Court stenographer will repeat the question.
4: You aren't aware then that all officers at of the cane habitually referred to you as Old Yellowstain?
6: I'm not aware of it. No further questions at this time. Is that the extent of your cross-examination, Lieutenant Greenwald? Commander
5: Quig will be called as a witness for the defense, sir. For the defense? Yes, sir.
6: Does Judge Advocate have any objection? No, sir. Commander, you'll refrain from conversing with any person whatsoever concerning the details of your testimony today. Aye, aye, sir. You're excused, and thank you. Thank you, Captain. Call Lieutenant Thomas Keeper. Aye, sir. You do solemnly swear that the evidence you shall give in this court shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you God.
8: I do so swear.
6: State your name,
8: rank, and present station. Thomas Kiefer, uh, Lieutenant, USNR, Communication Officer of the USS Kane. If you recognize the accused, state his home. Steve Merrick, Lieutenant Stephen Merrick, Executive Officer of the Kane. What is your occupation in civilian life? I am a writer. And has your work been published? A number of my short stories have been published, yes, sir, uh, in national magazines. Have you done any writing in your spare time while in service? Yes, I have completed half a war novel. What is the title? Multitudes, Multitudes. What was that? Multitudes, Multitudes, sir.
0: Oh, thank you. And has this novel, Multitudes, Multitudes, though incomplete, recently been accepted by a New York publisher? Yes. I'm asking these questions to establish your reliability as an observer of personalities. I understand, sir. Now, Lieutenant Kiefer... Were you serving aboard the Kane in your present capacity on December 18th, 1944? Yes, sir. Was Captain Quig relieved of command on that date?
8: He was, sir. By whom? The accused. Describe how you learned that the captain had been relieved. Well, Mr. Merrick passed the word over the loudspeakers for all the officers to lay up to the wheelhouse. When we got there, he told us that the captain was sick and he had assumed command. Did Captain Quig show any external signs of being sick? Well, at the height of a typhoon, nobody aboard a four-piper looks very well. What? Shh, keep calm. Was he raving or foaming? No. Did he look any worse than, say, Lieutenant Keith? No, sir. Or Merrick? We were all tired, dripping, and knocked out. (sighs) Mr. Kiefer, did you make any effort to persuade Merrick to restore Queeg to command? I did not. Didn't you feel the seriousness of the situation? I certainly did, sir. Why did you take no remedial action? I wasn't present when the captain was relieved. Merrick was in full command. The entire ship was obeying his orders. I decided that for the safety of the ship, my best course was to obey his orders. That's what I did. Mr. Kiefer, were you aboard the Kane throughout the
0: period when Captain Queet was in command? Yes. Did you ever observe any evidence of
8: insanity in him? I don't. I can't answer that question not being a psychiatrist. Well, surely now, Mr. Kiefer, as a writer, you're not wholly ignorant of such matters. Well, I hope not wholly ignorant. No, sir. Uh, What, for instance, is the Rorschach test? I believe that's the inkblot test. The analyst detects psychopathic tendencies in a person by showing him inkblots and getting the person to say what the shapes resemble. And who is Alfred Adler? These things are very elementary. Adler split off from Freud. Any college man knows that much, sir. A novelist, however, is apt to understand and appreciate these things more than the average man. Well, our work is the narration of human conduct. Naturally. Now then, Mr. Kiefer, with your grasp of such matters, if you saw a man rushing up and
0: down passageways screaming that a tiger was after him when there was no tiger... Would you venture to say that that man was temporarily deranged? I would, sir. Did Commander Quig ever exhibit such behavior? No, nothing like that. Did you ever think he might be insane?
5: Objection. Witness is not an expert. Matters of opinion are not admissible evidence.
0: I withdraw the question. Mr. Kiefer, at any time prior to 18 December, were you informed that Merrick suspected Quig of being mentally
8: ill? Yes, sir. Describe how you learned this fact. Well, now let me see. Uh, two weeks before the typhoon, Merrick showed me a medical log he'd kept on Queeg's behavior. He asked me to come with him to the New Jersey to report the situation to Admiral Halsey. Did you consent to go with him? Yes, I did. Why? He was my superior officer and also my close friend. Did you believe that the log justified the relief of Queeg? No. No. When we arrived aboard the New Jersey, I told him as forcibly as I could that, in my opinion, the log would not justify the action. What was his response? Well, after a lot of arguing, he followed my advice. We returned to the cane. Were you surprised two weeks later when he relieved the captain? I was flabbergasted. Were you pleased, Mr. Kiefer? I was badly disturbed. I anticipated that at best he would be involved in grave difficulties. I thought it was a terrible situation. No further questions. Your witness.
6: No questions. Does the defense intend to recall the witness at a later time? No, sir. No cross-examination of this highly material witness? No, sir. The court will question the witness. Mr. Kiefer, now as to this so-called medical law... The facts it contained, which convinced Lieutenant Merrick that he should report the captain to Admiral Halsey, didn't convince you. Is that right? They did not, sir. Why not? Sir,
8: it's not something a layman can intelligently discuss. You stated you're a
6: close friend of Mr. Merrick. Yes, sir. This court is trying to find out, among other things, any possible extenuating circumstances for his acts. Did this medical log merely indicate to you that Captain Quig was a highly normal and competent officer?
8: Sir, speaking from ignorance, it's always seemed to me that mental disability was a relative thing. Captain Quig was a very strict disciplinarian and extremely meticulous in hunting down the smallest matters. He was not the easiest person in the world to reason with, There were several occasions when I thought he bore down too hard and spent excessive time on small matters. Those were the things that were recorded in the medical law. They were very unpleasant. But to jump from them to a conclusion that the captain was a maniac, no. I was compelled, in all honesty, to warn Merrick against
6: doing that. No further questions. You will not discuss your testimony outside this courtroom. Witness excuse Why didn't you cross-examine Tom Kiefer?
5: Why'd you let him off like that? It was the only thing to do. Why? It would have made things worse for you. You'll get your chance in the stand. I'll never say a word about Tom
4: Kiefer. Not me.
5: God damn it,
6: he should have talked himself. Sure he should.
5: You don't understand, do you? Not about Kiefer. Not even about yourself.
7: State
0: your name, rating, and present station.
7: Junius Hannaford Urban, Signalman, 3rd Class, USN, Of the U.S.S. Kane, sir.
0: If you recognize the accused, state as whom? Sir? Do you recognize the accused? Sir? Do you recognize the officer at that table?
7: Which one, sir? There are two.
0: Name the one you recognize.
7: That's the exec, sir.
0: What's his name?
7: He's Mr. Merrick.
0: What is he exec of? The ship. Name the ship. The Kane. Thank you. Sorry, sir. Urban, on December 18th, 1944, were you serving aboard the Kane in your present capacity?
7: Is that the day it happened?
0: The day what happened? I don't know. That was the day of the typhoon?
7: Sure, I was bored.
0: Were you in the pilot house when Mr. Merrick relieved Captain Queek? Yes, sir. Who else was in the wheelhouse at that time?
7: Well, there was the captain and Mr. Merrick. Yes. And the helmsman. His name? Stillwell. Who else? The OOD. His name? Mr. Keith.
0: What were you doing in the wheelhouse? I had the watch, sir. Urban, describe in your own words how Lieutenant Merrick relieved the captain.
7: He said, I relieve you, sir.
0: What was happening at that time?
7: Well, the ship was rolling very bad.
0: Urban, describe everything that happened in the ten minutes before Captain Quee was relieved.
7: Well, like I say, the ship was rolling very bad.
0: That's all? Did the exec say anything? Did the captain say anything? Did the OOD say anything? Did the ship just roll in silence for ten minutes?
7: Well, sir, it was a typhoon. Urban, you're under oath. Well, I think the captain wanted to come north and the exec wanted to come south Or the other way around, or something like that.
0: Why did the captain want to come south?
7: I don't know, sir.
0: Why did the exec want to come north?
7: Sir, I'm a signalman.
0: Did the captain act crazy? No, sir. Did the exec seem scared? No, sir. Did the captain? No, sir. Did anyone?
7: I was goddamn scared, sir. I beg your pardon, sir.
0: But the captain did not act odd or crazy in any way at any time that morning, correct?
7: The captain was the same as always, sir.
0: Crazy or sane, Urban?
7: He was sane, sir. So far as I knew.
6: Urban, how old are you?
7: Twenty, sir.
6: What schooling have you had?
7: One year in high school.
6: Have you been telling the whole truth here, or haven't you?
7: Sir, the signalman isn't supposed to listen to arguments between the captain and the exec.
6: Did you like the captain?
7: Sir, sure, I liked him, sir.
6: Continue your examination. No further questions.
5: Your witness. <clears throat> Urban. were you aboard when the cane cut her own tow cable the time she was towing targets outside Pearl Harbor? Yes, sir. What were you doing at the time that it happened?
7: I was... That is, the captain was eating my. Uh, bawling me out on the bridge, sir. What for? My shirt tail was out.
5: Was the captain very strict on the subject of shirt tails?
7: Sir, he was not on. Yes, sir. He was very strict on shirt tails, sir.
5: And while the captain was discussing your shirt tail, the ship went right around in a circle and steamed over its own tow line? Is that the way it happened? Object
0: to this line of questioning. Counsel has tricked the witness with leading questions into asserting as a fact that the cane cut a toe line, a material point that was not touched upon in direct
5: examination. Please, the court. The witness stated he had never seen the captain do anything crazy. I am attempting to refute this.
6: Defense counsel will have the opportunity to originate evidence later. Objection sustained. Cross-examination thus far will be stricken from the record.
5: Urban, what is a paranoid personality? Huh? What is a paranoid personality? Sir? Could you recognize a psychotic person? Me? No further questions.
6: Urban, you will not discuss your testimony in this courtroom with anybody, understand?
7: Who, sir? Me? Sir? No, sir.
6: Excused. Thank you, sir. Call Chief Petty Officer
5: Budge.
7: Aye, sir.
9: One
5: moment. Sir? Sir? If it please the court, I understand that the judge advocate intends to call a dozen members of the crew of the cane. That's correct. Is the purpose to confirm the testimony of Urban that the captain was never seen to do anything crazy? That is the purpose. The defense will concede that the testimony of all these witnesses will corroborate Urban's if the judge advocate will concede that these 12 men don't know any more about a paranoid than Urban.
0: I'll gladly accept that concession on those terms, sir.
6: Lieutenant Greenwald, you're making a weighty concession. By your leave, sir, however, the defense makes that concession. One moment, stenographer. Don't record that. Mr. Greenwald. Yes, sir. The court understands that you were appointed as defense counsel by the judge advocate. Yes, sir. When were you appointed? Four days ago, sir. Do you feel you've had enough time to prepare your case? Yes, sir. Did you undertake this assignment willingly? Sir,
0: I... Um, May it please the court. Lieutenant Greenwald accepted the assignment at my earnest request.
6: I see by your uniform that you're a flying officer. Yes, sir. What do you fly? F6F, sir. What are you doing on the beach?
5: Were you grounded? Hospitalized for third-degree burns, sir. I see.
6: Um, how did you get burned? Crashed a barrier on the USS Wasp, sir. Did you have a chance to practice much law before the war came along? Uh, a little, sir. Court will speak to the accused off the record. Accused will rise. Yes, sir. It seems the court's duty at this point to inquire whether your counsel's conduct of the defense meets with your approval. Um...
5: May it please the court, if the accused answers that question now, he must do so on blind faith. I beg the court for an opportunity to speak to my client first.
6: We've had too many recesses
5: here. Not a recess, sir. A, a brief delay. Two minutes, sir.
6: Court will remain in session. We'll have a two-minute pause in the proceedings.
5: Well, do you want to get rid of me? I don't know. Take my word for it. Everything's all right up to now. I think I'm sunk at this point. You're not. Fifteen years in the brig. You won't go to the brig. Why didn't you cross-examine these twelve guys? Two minutes isn't much time to explain elementary trial
4: tactics. Explain one thing, and maybe I'll go along with you. Why didn't you cross-examine Tom Kiefer?
5: Merrick, there isn't time to tell you what you need to- Tom
4: Kiefer knows everything that the captain did. Everything. Sure he does. If he wouldn't talk, it was up to you to drag it out of him,
5: wasn't it? You don't begin to understand.
4: I don't understand what you're doing, mister, that's for sure.
5: I just happen to want to fight this case. Why?
4: What does it mean to you? You're a total stranger. I want to win it. I want to believe you. It's God's truth. You say you'd rather be prosecuting me than defending me. Maybe this is your screwy way of prosecuting me.
5: All right. Listen carefully. Implicating Kiefer harms you. What? Two disgruntled bastards instead of one heroic exec. Huh? I've got a chance with the lone heroic exec. Making that picture stick is my only Surely... chance to win for you.
6: What's going, Please going try on try
5: to there, let Jack? that sink in, Where'd America? you get this bird?
0: Sir, Barney Greenwald and I went to Georgetown Law together. Before the war, he was one of the most successful young lawyers in Washington. He was? Don't you think he's putting on a damned odd show? Well, yes, sir. But he has a reputation for defending the underdogs, sir. He used to handle Indian cases back in Washington, where Indians were getting pushed around by the officials and
6: didn't charge for it. Jewish fellow, isn't he?
0: Yes, sir. Barney's
6: Jewish. Well, maybe he's a hell of a lot smarter than he seems. him as. The court again asks the accused, are you satisfied? Uh, I'm satisfied, sir. Court will not reopen this question.
4: I understand, sir. I'm satisfied with Lieutenant Greenwald.
6: Proceed with your case, Commander Shalit. Call Lieutenant Keith. Aye, aye, sir. You do solemnly swear that the evidence you shall give in this court shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you God. I do.
0: State your name, rank, and present station.
10: Willis Seward Keith, Lieutenant Junior Grade USNR, Assistant Communication Officer of the USS Kane.
0: If you recognize the accused, state as whom? Steve
10: Merrick, my Executive Officer on the Kane.
0: Mr. Keith, were you Officer of the Deck of the Kane during the forenoon watch on 18 December 1944? I was. Was the captain relieved of his command during your watch? Yes. Do you know why the executive officer relieved the captain?
10: Yes. Captain Queeg had lost control of himself, and the ship was in grave danger of foundering.
0: How many years have you served at sea, Lieutenant? One year and three months. Do you know how many years Commander Queeg has served at sea? I guess about ten years. Which of you is better qualified to judge whether a ship is foundering or not?
10: Myself, sir, if I'm in possession of my faculties and Commander Quig isn't. What makes you think he isn't in possession of his faculties? He wasn't
0: on the morning of December 18. Have you studied medicine or psychiatry? No. Did the captain foam or rave or make insane gestures? No, but what he did do was just as bad. Clarify that a bit, if you will. His orders
10: were vague and sluggish and not appropriate. He insisted on going south when we had a north wind of 90 miles an hour behind us. With a stern wind that strong, the ship couldn't
0: be controlled. In your expert opinion as a ship handler, that is. Steve Merrick thought so, and he's an expert ship handler. Were you wholeheartedly loyal to your captain or antagonistic to him prior to 18 December?
10: I was antagonistic to Captain Quigg at certain isolated times. At what isolated times were you antagonistic? When Captain Quigg maltreated the men, I opposed him. When did the captain ever maltreat the men? Well, for one thing, he systematically persecuted Gunner's mate second class Stilwell. In what way? First, he restricted him to the ship for six months for reading on watch. He refused to grant him leave in the States when we were back here in December 43. The man was getting anonymous letters about his wife's infidelity. Merrick gave Stilwell a 72-hour emergency leave, and he returned a few hours late. You and-
0: say Merrick gave Stilwell a pass. Did Merrick know the captain had denied leave to Stilwell? Yes, sir. Did Merrick check with the captain before issuing this pass? No, sir. Are you testifying, Mr. Keith, that Merrick deliberately violated his captain's orders?
10: Well, I mean, it was my fault, actually. I begged him to. I was morale officer, and I thought the man's morale... Mr. Keith...
0: We now have your testimony that you and Merrick and Stillwell connived to circumvent an express order of your commanding officer a whole year before the typhoon of 18 December. Now, please tell the court any other instances of maltreatment that occurred to you. He cut off
10: the movies for six months just because he wasn't invited to a showing by mistake. He cut off the water at the equator because he said the men were using too much and had to be taught a lesson.
0: Mr. Keith, did the captain ever issue rules or punishments not permitted by regulations? He never did anything not allowed by regulations. You didn't like the captain, did you,
10: Lieutenant? I did at first very much. But I gradually realized that he was a petty
0: tyrant and utterly incompetent. Did you think he was insane, too? Not until the
10: day of the typhoon.
0: Very well. Come to the day of the typhoon. Was your decision to obey Merrick based on your judgment that the captain had gone mad, or was it based on your hatred of Captain Queeg?
10: I just don't remember my state of mind that long ago.
0: No further questions.
5: Mr. Keith, you have stated you disliked Captain Queeg.
0: I did dislike him.
5: Did you state under direct examination all your reasons for disliking him? Not at all. State the rest of your reasons now, please. Well, for one thing, he extorted $100
0: from me. Objection. The issue in this case is not whether Captain Quig was a model officer, but whether he was insane on 18 December. Defense counsel hasn't even touched this issue.
5: Please, the court, this will bear directly on the mental fitness of Captain Queeg to command a naval vessel. And as evidence, it is nothing but clarification of Keith's dislike of his commanding officer, a fact established by the judge advocate at great pains in direct examination. The objection is overruled. Describe this so-called extortion, Mr. Keith.
10: Well, this was back last December in San Francisco Bay. The captain had this big crate full of cheap tax-free whiskey from Pearl Harbor that he wanted to sneak into Oakland. He appointed me boat officer, and a working party started to load the crate into the gig. It was terrifically heavy, and Captain Queed got excited and screeched a whole bunch of contradictory orders. The sailors got rattled and dropped the crate into the water. It sank like a stone. And I was out $110.
5: You mean the captain was?
10: No, sir, I was. The captain informed me that I was responsible because I was boat officer in charge of the loading, and he asked me to think over what I ought to do about it. Well, I was supposed to go on leave the next day. My girl had flown out from New York to be with me, so I went to the captain and I apologized for my stupidity and said I'd like to pay for the lost crate. He took my money gladly, and then he signed my leave papers.
5: What further reason did you have for disliking Queeg?
10: My chief reason
5: for disliking
10: Captain Queeg was his cowardice in battle.
5: What cowardice?
10: He repeatedly ran from shore batteries.
0: Objection! The counsel is originating evidence beyond the scope of direct examination. He is leading the witness into irresponsible libels of an officer of the Navy.
5: Please the court, the witness's dislike of Queeg was not only in the scope of direct examination, it was the key fact brought out. The witness has confessed ignorance of psychiatry. Things Queeg did which caused the witness in his ignorance to dislike him
6: may in fact have been the helpless acts of a sick man. I respectfully urge my objections, sir. One moment. For the benefit of all parties, court will read from the articles for the Department of the Navy on cowardice. The punishment of death or such other punishment as a court-martial may adjudge may be inflicted on any person in the Naval Service who in time of battle displays cowardice, negligence or disaffection or withdraws or keeps out of danger to which he should expose himself. The defense counsel and the witness are warned that they are on the most dangerous possible ground in charging an officer of the United States Navy with an offense punishable by death and that the most odious offense in military life, they take on themselves the heaviest responsibility The court now asks defense counsel, in view of the foregoing, whether he desires to withdraw his question. I do not so desire, sir. The court asks the witness to state whether he desires to withdraw his answers. I do not so desire, sir. Court finds that the question is within the scope of direct examination and that the answer is material. The objection of the judge advocate is overruled. Proceed.
5: Where and when did Captain Cleek run from shore batteries?
10: Practically every time we heard gunfire from the beach. I guess the worst time was at Kwajalein. That's where he got the nickname, Old Yellowstain.
5: What did this nickname, Old Yellowstain, imply?
10: Well, cowardice, of course. It referred to a yellow dye marker he dropped over
5: the side. Describe this Yellowstain incident.
10: Well, I wasn't on the bridge, so I only heard about it afterwards. What happened was that Captain Objection!
5: Quique- does defense counsel seriously expect to enter these hearsay libels on the record? I withdraw the question. Defense will introduce direct evidence on the Yellowstone incident.
6: Strike the question and answer from the record.
5: Can you describe incidents of cowardice to which you were an eyewitness?
10: Well, in any combat situation, Captain Quig was always found on the side of the bridge away from the firing. I saw that a dozen times when I was OOD.
5: No further questions.
0: Mr. Keith... Has Commander Quig been court-martialed by higher authority for any of the alleged acts of cowardice you describe? No. Can you cite any official records that will substantiate any of these fantastic and libelous stories you have been telling under the guidance of Defense counsel? Official records? No. Mr. Keith, do you know for a fact that the crate that was lost contained smuggled liquor? It was common knowledge. Common knowledge. Did you see the liquor in the crate? No. Can you name one person who will testify that they saw liquor in the crate? Well, naturally, he was pretty careful about that. Not one person? I just don't know who would have actually seen it. Mr. Keith, you've testified that you hate Captain Queeg. You're reporting as fact every evil rumor about him, and you're making wild, irresponsible charges under oath. Isn't that the plain truth about your testimony, Mr. Keith? I haven't lied once. Mr. Keith, on the morning when the captain was relieved, did you really think he had gone crazy? I said before,
10: I can't say for sure what my state of mind was. No more questions.
6: Defense counsel? Nothing further. You'll not discuss any details of your testimony outside this courtroom, lieutenant. Aye, aye, sir. You're excused. Call Captain Southerd? Aye, aye, sir. You do solemnly swear that the evidence you shall give in this court shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help
9: you God. I do. State your name, rank, and present station. Randolph Patterson Southern, Captain, U.S. Navy, Commander of Destroyer Squadron 8. You understand that you've been called as an expert witness on destroyer ship handling. I do. State your qualifications. Some 20 years in destroyers, 10 years of commanding all types, from the World War I four-piper on up to the newest 2,200-tonner.
0: Now, sir, I'm going to describe a hypothetical ship handling problem for your expert opinion. Very well. You're in command of a destroyer in the Philippine Sea. A typhoon blows up without warning, traveling west. You're directly in the path of it. The wind keeps increasing, its direction holding steady from the north. Soon, your wind is forced 10 to 12, and your seas are mountainous. Under the circumstances, what would you do?
9: I believe I'd execute the classic Navy maneuver known as getting the hell out of there. How would you go about that, Captain? Well, it's almost rule of thumb. You say winds from the north at 90 knots, the center of the typhoon coming at you from the west. Best course is south. You might have to head a couple of points one way or the other, depending on your seas, but there's only one way out of that mess, south.
0: But then you have a terribly strong stern wind, don't you? What about it? Can a destroyer ride safely going downwind in such conditions?
9: She'll ride just as well going downwind as upwind. In fact, with your high freeboard forward, the destroyer tends to back into the wind other things being equal, she'll do slightly better going downwind.
0: How about turning north in those circumstances and heading into the wind?
9: That would be dubious and dangerous, not to say idiotic.
0: Why, Captain?
9: You're heading yourself right back into the path of the typhoon. Unless you're interested in sinking, that's not smart. That's all, sir. Captain, have you ever conned a ship through the center of a typhoon? Negative. Been on the fringes often, but always managed to avoid the center.
5: Have you ever commanded a destroyer minesweeper, sir? Negative. This case, sir, concerns a destroyer minesweeper at the center of a typhoon,
9: and- I'm uh, aware of that. I've had DMSs under my command and screens. I've read the book on them. They don't differ from destroyers except in details of topside weight characteristics. I ask
5: these questions, Captain, because you are the only expert witness on ship handling, and the extent of
9: your expert knowledge should be clear to the court. That's all right. I've handled destroyer types in almost every conceivable situation for 10 years. Haven't handled a DMS in the center of a typhoon, no, but I don't know who the hell has besides the skipper of the cane. It's a thousand to one shot.
5: Will you state without reservation that the rules of destroyer handling would hold for the
9: DMS in the center of a typhoon? Well, at the center of a typhoon, there are no hard and fast rules. That's one situation where it's all up to the commanding officer. Too many things happen too fast.
5: Sir, you remember the hypothetical question of the judge advocate about the typhoon? I do. Now, in that situation, I ask you to assume that the winds and seas become worse than any you've ever experienced. Your ship is wallowing broadside. You actually believe your ship is foundering. You're in the last extremity. Would you bring your ship north into the wind or continue on south, stern to wind? You're getting mighty hypothetical. Yes, sir. You'd prefer not
9: to answer that question, Captain? I'll answer it. In the last extremity... I'd come around to north and head into the wind if I could, but only in the last extremity. Why, sir? Why? Because your engines and rudder have the best purchase that way. That's all. It's your last chance to keep control of your ship. But wouldn't coming north head you back into the path of the storm? Its first things first. If you're on the verge of powdering, you're as bad off as you can get. Mind you, you said the last extremity. Yes, sir. No further questions. Captain,
0: who, in your opinion, is the best judge as to whether a ship is in its last extremity?
9: There's only one judge, the commanding officer. Why, sir? The Navy's made him captain because his knowledge of the sea and ships is better than anyone else's on the ship. It's very common for some subordinate officers to think the ship is sinking when all they're having is a little weather.
0: Don't you think, sir, that when his subordinates all agree that the ship is going down, the captain ought to listen to them?
9: Negative. Panic is a common hazard at sea. The highest function of command is to override it, and to listen to nothing but the voice of his own professional judgment.
6: Thank you, Captain. You will not discuss your testimony outside the courtroom, Captain. Understood. You're excused, and thank you. Call Doctor Forrest Lundeen. Aye, sir. You do solemnly swear that the evidence you shall give in this court shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you God. I do.
0: State name, rank, and present station?
1: Forrest Lundin, MD, Captain U.S. Navy, Head of Psychiatry, U.S. Naval Hospital, San Francisco.
0: Were you the head of the medical board which examined Lieutenant Commander Quig? I was. How long did your examination last, Doctor? We had the commander under
1: constant observation and testing for three weeks. And what was the finding of the board? Commander Quigg was discharged with a clean bill of health.
0: Doctor, is it possible that two months ago, on December 18th, he was in such a state of psychotic collapse that relieving him from a naval command would be justified?
1: It's utterly impossible.
0: Is it possible for a sane man to perform offensive, disagreeable, foolish acts?
1: It happens every day. We didn't find that the commander was a perfect officer.
0: Yet you still say that to relieve him from Naval command because of mental illness would be unjustified.
1: Completely unjustified.
0: We will place your report in evidence and hear Dr. Bird. Thank you, doctor, your witness.
5: Uh, Dr. Lundeen, my background is legal, not medical. I hope you'll bear with me if I try to clarify technical terms. Of course. Of course. I'll probably ask some elementary questions.
1: It's perfectly all right. Um,
5: Would you say that Commander Queeg is absolutely normal?
1: Well, normality, you know, is a fiction in psychiatry. No adult is without problems except a happy imbecile.
5: Uh, Describe Commander Queeg's problems.
1: Well, you might say the overall problem is one of inferiority feelings generated by an unfavorable childhood and aggravated by certain adult experiences. Unfavorable childhood in what way? Disturbed background, divorced parents, financial
5: trouble, schooling problems. And the aggravating factors in adult life?
1: In general, the commander is rather troubled by his short stature, his low standing in his class, and such factors. The commander is well-adjusted to all these things. Can you describe
5: the nature
1: of the adjustment? Yes, I can. His identity as a naval officer is the essential balancing factor. It's the key to his personal security. Therefore, he has a fixed anxiety about protecting his standing. That would account for the harshness and ill temper. Would he be disinclined to admit to mistakes? Yes. Of course, there's nothing unbalanced in that.
5: Would he be a perfectionist? Such a personality would be. Suspicious of his subordinates? Inclined to
1: hound them about... Small details. Any mistake of a subordinate is intolerable because it might endanger him.
5: Yet he will not admit mistakes when he makes them himself.
1: You might say he revises reality in his own mind so that he comes out blameless.
5: Doctor, isn't distorting reality a symptom of mental illness?
1: It's a question of degree. None of us wholly faces reality.
5: But doesn't the commander distort reality more than, say, you do?
1: That's his weakness. Other people have other weaknesses. It's definitely not disabling.
5: Uh, if criticized from above, would he be inclined to think he was being unjustly persecuted?
1: It's all one pattern, all stemming from one basic premise: that he must try to be perfect. Hmm. Would he be
5: inclined to stubbornness?
1: Well, you'll you'll have a certain rigidity of personality in such an individual. The inner insecurity checks him from admitting that those who differ with him may be right.
5: Doctor, you've testified that the following symptoms exist in the commander's behavior. Rigidity of personality, feelings of persecution, unreasonable suspicion, withdrawal from reality, perfectionist anxiety, an unreal basic premise, and an obsessive sense of self-righteousness.
1: All mild, sir. All well compensated.
5: Yes, doctor. Is there an inclusive psychiatric term, one label for the syndrome?
1: Syndrome? Who said anything about a syndrome? You're misusing a term. There's no syndrome because there's no disease.
5: Thank you for the correction, doctor. I'll rephrase it. Do the symptoms fall into a single pattern of neurotic disturbance, a common psychiatric class?
1: I know what you're driving at, of course. It's a paranoid personality, but that is not a disabling affliction. What
5: kind of personality,
1: Doctor? Paranoid.
5: Paranoid, Doctor? Yes, paranoid. Doctor, in a paranoid personality like Commander Quiggs, well, let me put this hypothetically, could a man have a paranoid personality which would not disable him for any subordinate duties but would disable him for command?
1: <sighs> it's It's conceivable.
5: Is the disabling factor likely to show up in personal interviews?
1: With a skilled psychiatrist, yes.
5: Why is a psychiatrist needed, doctor? Can't an educated, intelligent person like myself or the judge advocate or the court detect a paranoid?
1: You evidently are not too well acquainted with the pattern. The distinguishing mark of this neurosis is extreme plausibility and a most convincing normal manner on the surface particularly in self-justification.
5: Thank you, doctor. No more questions.
6: The court wishes to clear up one point. Doctor, is such a thing possible? Well, wait, let me put it this way. Let's say a man with a mild condition is not disabled for all the usual stresses of command. Now, let's say these stresses are multiplied manifold by an extreme emergency. Would there be a tendency to make erroneous judgments?
1: Well, there might be. Extreme stress does that to almost anybody, sir. It's not
6: supposed to do it to commanding officers.
1: No, but practically speaking, sir, they're human too.
6: You are not to discuss your testimony outside the courtroom. You're excused. Yes, sir. Thank you, doctor.
1: Dr. Bird will be my
0: last witness, sir. Orderly.
7: Yes, sir.
6: You do solemnly swear that the evidence you shall give in this court shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you God.
0: I do. State your name, rank, and present station.
11: Alan Winston Bird, M.D., Lieutenant U.S.N.R. on the psychiatric staff of U.S. Naval Hospital, San Francisco.
0: Were you a member of the board headed by Doctor Lundeen, which recently inquired into the mental health of Lieutenant Commander Quig? Yes, sir. What was the finding
11: of the board? We found the commander is mentally fit for command now and has never been unfit. Did you find any indication
0: that Commander Quigg had what is known as a paranoid personality?
11: Well, I prefer to call it obsessive personality with paranoid features, but this did not indicate mental unfitness,
0: however. Oh, no. You unanimously agreed then, Doctor, that Commander Quigg is mentally fit now and must have been mentally fit on 18 December when he was relieved on the grounds of mental illness. That was our unanimous conclusion. Thank you, Doctor. No further questions.
5: Doctor, you have special training in Freudian technique? Yes. In the Freudian analysis, is there such a thing as mental illness?
11: Well, there are disturbed people and adjusted people.
5: But disturbed and adjusted correspond roughly, don't they, to the terms sick and well, as laymen use them?
11: Very roughly,
5: yes. Doctor, would you say Commander Quigg suffers from inferiority feelings? Uh, Yes, but they're well compensated. Is there a difference between compensated and adjusted? Oh, most definitely. Can you explain it? Well,
11: let's say a a man has some deep-seated psychological disturbance. He can compensate by finding outlets for his peculiar drives. He can never adjust without undergoing
5: psychoanalysis. Has Commander Quigg ever been psychoanalyzed? No. He is, then, a disturbed person. Uh, Yes, he is.
11: Not disabled, however, by the disturbance. How has he compensated? In two ways, mainly. The paranoid pattern, which is useless and not desirable, and his naval career, which is extremely useful and desirable.
5: You say his military career is a result of his disturbance?
11: Most military careers are.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Doctor, did you note any peculiar habit Commander Quigg had? Something he did with his hands?
11: Do you mean rolling the steel balls?
5: Yes. Describe the habit, please.
11: Well, it's an incessant rolling or rattling of two marbles in his hand. Either hand.
5: Why does he do it?
11: His hands tremble. He does it to still his hands and conceal the trembling. It makes him feel more
5: comfortable. Why do his hands tremble? The inner tension. It's one of the surface symptoms. Does this rolling motion have significance in Freudian analysis? It's an obvious sexual symbol, of course. Now, As to the
11: precise meaning... How How far is this totally irrelevant technical discussion
0: going to be pushed? Are you objecting to the question? I'm requesting the court to set
6: limits to time-wasting by the defense. Your request is noted. Proceed with cross-examination.
5: Doctor, you have testified that the commander is a disturbed, not an adjusted person. Yes. He is then, in layman's terms, sick.
11: I remember agreeing to the rough resemblance of the terms disturbed and sick. But by those
5: terms, an awful lot of people are sick. But this trial only has Commander Queeg's sickness at issue. If he's sick, how could your board have given him a clean bill of health? You're playing on words, I'm afraid. We found no disability. Doctor, supposing the requirements of command were many times as severe as you believe them to be. Wouldn't even this mild sickness disable Queeg? That's absurdly hypothetical, because Is in the it first place... Have you ever had sea duty, Doctor? No. Have you ever been to sea? No. How long have you been in the Navy? Uh, five months. No, uh, six, I guess. Have you no. had any dealings with ship's captains before this case? No. On what do you base your estimate of the stresses of command?
11: Well, my general knowledge...
5: Do you think command requires a highly gifted, exceptional person... Well, no. It doesn't? Not
11: highly gifted, no. Adequate responses, fairly good intelligence, and sufficient training and experience, but but not Is that enough equipment
5: for, say, a skilled psychiatrist? Well, not exactly. In other words, it takes more ability to be a psychiatrist than the captain of a naval vessel? It takes,
11: (sighs) that is, different abilities are required. You're making the invidious comparison, not I.
5: Doctor, you've admitted Commander Quig is sick. The only remaining question is, how sick? You don't think he's sick enough to be disabled for command? I suggest that since evidently you don't know much about the requirements of command, you may be wrong in your conclusion. I repudiate your suggestion. You've deliberately substituted the word sick,
11: which is a loose, a polarized word for the correct Pardon saying. me? What, what kind of word? polarized loaded invidious i never said sick my grasp of the requirements of command is adequate or i would have disqualified myself from serving on the
5: board maybe you should have the witness is being badgered i withdraw my last statement no further questions dr bird
0: Defense counsel managed to put words into your mouth that I'm certain you don't mean, and I'd like to... I'm not aware but, that he succeeded in putting any words into my mouth. Doctor, he drew the implication from you that Captain Queeg is sick. Surely
11: you don't mean... Sir, to suggest- I'm careful in my use of terminology. I did not introduce the term sick. I don't regard it as a precise term. Nevertheless... If you're going to use such a loose term, Captain Quig, like a vast number of seemingly healthy people, is sick. However, he is definitely not disabled for command, which is the only issue here. But that sounds like a contradiction,
0: sir, which surely you don't intend to. We live pass in a sick court.
11: civilization. The well people are exceptional, and Captain Quig certainly isn't exceptional in that regard. And furthermore... Thank you.
0: Thank you, Doctor. That certainly clarifies the matter. No more questions.
6: Doctor... Doctor, you will not discuss your testimony outside this courtroom. No, sir. Excused.
5: Prosecution rests.
6: Is defense ready to present its case? Yes, sir. How many witnesses are you calling?
5: Only two, sir. The first
6: is the accused. Then we can button it all up tomorrow morning. I believe so, sir. Recess until 0900.
0: <laughs> yeah. Quite a job you did on Dr.
5: Bird. Uh, thanks, Jack.
0: Won't cut any ice. No? Captain Blakely's headed up a lot of these courts. He doesn't go for vaudeville. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow.
4: Boy, that was marvelous. Cutting up that
5: doctor, wise little bastard. Have you ever read it? What? Your friend Tom Kiefer's novel. Huh? Multitudes, multitudes, have you ever read it? Tom's novel? No, he's always kept it in a black
4: satchel, locked.
5: I'd like to read it. You would? I'm sure it exposes this war and all its grim futility and shows up the regular army and navy officers, just a lot of stupid sadists, bitching up the campaigns and throwing away the lives of fatalistic, humorous, lovable citizen soldiers. Lots of sexy scenes where the prose becomes rhythmic and beautiful while the girl gets her pants pulled down. What's eating you? I hate this case, do you know? The more so because I want to win it so bad, because of what I've got to do to win it. I'm beginning to think I've got a chance. You're pretty
4: keen, all right. Almost as keen as Mr. Kiefer. You sure were right about him.
5: Why did he do it? He didn't have to implicate himself. He could have said what he really thought of Queek. What, to Captain Blakely? Blakely's sniffing around the edges of Kiefer as it is. No, sir. Your novelist friend's one course was to clam up. He's smart. You don't like Tom much. Well, I look at Kiefer and I see my own self a couple of years ago. Only like in a crazy mirror, all distorted and upside down. I'm not amused. Maybe Kiefer didn't enjoy sailing under Queeg for half a year. Maybe he'd enjoy it less if the Nazis and the Japanese were shaking hands right now at the Mississippi River. I guess what I found out, Merrick, is that there's a time for everything, including rebellious youth. Possibly you and Mr. Kiefer were dead wrong in your timing. In which case, the next question is, who's the real victim in this courtroom? You or Captain Queeg? Captain Queeg was nuts. You heard, Dr. Lundine. It's a question of degree. If you're in a war and your command personnel is stretched thin, maybe you've got to use him because he's got the training. I think Captain Queeg was a mean, stupid son of a bitch, but... Okay! Merrick, if that was grounds for deposing your superior officer, we wouldn't have an army or a navy. That's a widespread opinion of superior officers. They're not all Queegs. Superiors all tend to look like Queeg from underneath. It's an unflattering angle. What do you do when you really get it, Quig? You fight the war. Oh, where can we get drunk? I mean, drunk. Mister, you've got a day's work to do in court tomorrow. I know exactly what I've got to do in court tomorrow. <sighs> That's why I want to get drunk. Come on, let's go. <music>
3: And that concludes Act 1 of the Kane Mutiny Court Martial. Please return for Act 2 and our conclusion from the Sonic Soundstock Playhouse.
0: And now, Mutual of Ohm providing spiritual insurance for your past, your present, and your future since 500 BC, proudly presents Wrinkley's Believe It or Forget About It, bringing you strange but true tales and oddities from all over this wide world. And here is your host, Mr.
6: Robert Wrinkley. Hello! I'm Robert Wrinkley. And lastly, here is the story of Johnny Warden of Halifax, Nova Scotia, who, as second mate of the cargo ship SS Mont Blanc, miraculously survived the explosion of that vessel on December 6th, 1917, and the subsequent destruction of the Richmond district of Halifax, and the deaths of more than 2,000 Haligonians, by the simple miracle of having been in the bed of a prostitute neighboring Fort Sackville at the time. He was known as Lucky Jack for the rest of his life. He died in 1947 in Queens, New York, at the age of 62. Interestingly enough, in the bed of another prostitute. Believe it or forget about it. I'm Robert Wrinkley. Ta-ta for now. You've been listening
0: to a special feature of Pulp Puri Theatre, Wrinkley's Believe It or Forget About It. Brought to you by Mutual of Ohm, providing spiritual insurance for your past, your present, and your future since 500 B.C. This is Gramercy Noun speaking. We return you now to our regularly scheduled program,